Today's episode of The Movies That Made Her But Not Me is sponsored by FilmCred. Providing new film critics and writers in-depth feedback on their writing, FilmCred is made up of a community of collaborators dedicated to publishing insightful reviews, interviews, video essays, and coverage of film festivals. Visit film-cred.com to learn more. I'm Minna Stein. And I'm Lauren Lloyd. And you're listening to The Movies That Made Her But Not Me, the podcast where we discuss classic films from different generational perspectives. The classic film we're discussing today is the 2007 cult hit B-movie. Let's set the scene. The movie is B-movie. B-movie was a disastrous animated movie that came from the minds of Jerry Seinfeld and Steven Spielberg, written by Jerry Seinfeld. The movie is based on Jerry's wife becoming a beekeeper and spending more time with her bees than with Jerry. And with that, Bee Movie was born. The movie is about a bee named Barry B. Benson. It's kind of cute. Who has graduated from college and is not satisfied succumbing to the hive mentality of working the same job every day for the rest of your life. Barry decides to venture out of the hive and into the real world. In the world, he meets and falls in love Mm-hmm. with a human woman named Vanessa. She introduces him to a brand, a store brand honey. Outraged and feeling taken advantage of, Barry sues the human race for the exploitation of bees. But was that the right decision? That is what the rest of the movie explores. So the year is 2007, and while audiences are scratching their heads while watching Bee Movie, Nancy Pelosi became the Speaker of the House, the first iPhone is released for sale in the United States, and Pixar releases their eighth feature film, Ratatouille. The Writers Guild of America goes on strike, the Boston Red Sox win the World Series, and the late 2000s recession officially begins. One person who wasn't scratching their head at B-Movie was seven-year-old Minna. The movie made perfect sense to her. So Minna, why don't you tell us about the first time you saw B-Movie? The first time I saw B-Movie was in the movie theater. I remember going to see the movie. I don't know if I even wanted to see the movie. I think my parents just loved Seinfeld, and so they were like, this is going to be a good movie to take the kids to. But you've been watching Seinfeld since you were two. (laughs) Exactly. So you had a leg up on the whole Seinfeld world. Right, exactly. I was a Seinfeld fan as well, Mm -hmm. but I think... My parents, as maybe a lot of parents did, were like, oh, this is something that we'll like because we like Seinfeld and something our kids will like also. Because it's a kid's movie. So we all went. I don't think my parents liked it, but I do remember being a little kid and being like, wow, that was a great movie when I left the theater. I was like, super funny, made perfect sense. I loved that (laughs) black and yellow um, joke in the very beginning of the movie where Barry is going through all of his sweaters and he's like, black and yellow, black and yellow, black and yellow, yellow and black. Let's shake it up a little bit. And and sharpening his singer, and I love I, that in the, I, in the past. Right. Sure. Yes, yeah. there were there were some visual jokes that were were very funny to me, and I remember them very vividly as a kid. And I remember going to school and saying that black and yellow joke and slapping you across the face just like this. I remember, I remember those lines hitting me as a little kid and being super funny. But 
I think that after I saw the movie and probably after a few months after it came out, totally forgot about it, was not very memorable until years later when I was in high school, that kind of my generation, people who had seen the B movie as kids and kind of rediscovered it as young adults, were like, what was that that we watched? A bee falls in love with a human and she leaves her boyfriend for a bee? Like, yeah, what is going that. on? Explain that, Nina. I can't explain it. Well, Seinfeld, no one can explain it. Seinfeld, Mason, he, he apologized for that a little later on, saying that uh, it's really not, I guess, kid-friendly or kids' entertainment or whoops on that. I apologize for what seems to be a certain uncomfortable, subtle sexual uh, aspect of the B-movie. After uh, it came out, I realized this is really not appropriate for children. Yeah, 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 no, yeah, yeah. The reason why I picked this movie is because there was a a B-movie renaissance where mm. it came out, a few people saw it, whatever. We all forgot about it. And then when those kids who saw it got to an age where they actually could process some of the things that we watched, we were like, what happened? And the movie became so popular. And really? to your point, oh, explosively popular. What? Yes. Just off the charts, one of the most quoted, talked about, popular movies of my generation. And to your point, you know, Jerry Seinfeld apologized for it, but that wasn't until a few years ago. It's not like the movie came out, there was backlash, he apologized. It was like, the movie came out, people saw it, but we forgot about it. And then years later, when we started bullying Jerry Seinfeld for making a woman leave her boyfriend for a bee, he was like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that because it was kind of weird. Yeah, interspecies uh, relationship. Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. And right. so I, that's the reason why I picked this movie is because I think <laughs> that something that is very evidently different, something that is a stark difference between movies when you were growing up and movies when I was growing up, mm -hmm. are the memification of movies oh, and wow. being able to keep a movie in the mainstream through making internet videos and tweets and, you know, creating internet content around a movie from our childhood. And so that's why I wanted to talk about it on the podcast, not because it was a particularly influential movie, in my life, which it was because I loved Jerry Seinfeld. I, when I was older, the B movie was something that was really influential, you know, not when I originally saw the movie, but once it became part of the mainstream again, I remember like making memes with my friends about, yeah, about the line, you like jazz, when the movie La La Land came out. I remember like making correlations between those two movies and like the B movie has been something that was really influential in my life, but not at the time that I saw it. It was years later. What year was that? What year were you in um, high school when this came? This I think I say it was probably around 2016, 2017. So I was like in late high school, maybe like a junior, um, a sophomore or a junior in high school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like 10 years later. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think that's something that's really interesting about it. And we can get kind of more into the production side after we talk about the actual contents of the movie but yes I wanted to say the influence right off the bat that it had on me because I think you know spoiler alert when we get to the conversation about whether this is a classic or not I think we both are in agreement that it is not but I think that the reason why it is so influential is because it was one of these first movies that had a cult following based around turning the movie's quotability into Wow. memes which like napoleon dynamite had the, the quotability yeah. but the introduction of the internet 
in addition to the quotability, kind of created a perfect storm for a movie to explode into popularity in a way that it didn't when it first came out. When a movie came out like Harold and Maude, that had to wait years and years and years before people saw it and were like, hey, this was a great movie. It was happened to be playing in a theater and they saw it and were like, wow, this movie, it disappeared, but it's awesome and people should be watching it. Mm -hmm. Whereas the introduction of the internet allowed that process to be much quicker. Mm. So people could go online and make videos about how ridiculous the B-movie was. And, you know, five, ten years later, people are already deeming it a cult classic and there's a resurgence of people loving the B-movie. And what was the, one, the memes about? What were they mostly just repeating some of the dialogue or...? There were so many YouTube videos that have like millions and millions of views about the movie. There's one that's called The Entire B Movie, but every time <laughs> it says B, it speeds up by 15%. And that video has 6.3 million views. Um, wow. There's another one that's The B Movie at 3,000% speed, except when they say B, which has 4.9 million views. And there's Barry B. Benson saying, you like jazz? over a billion <laughs> times, which has an impressive 21 million views. According to all known laws of aviation, there is no way that a bee should be able to fly. Its wings are too small to get its fat little body off the ground. The bee, of course, flies anyway, because bees don't care what humans think is impossible. So clearly the movie hit with young people, just not as young as I think parents thought it was going to connect with young people, mm -hmm. right? They thought there was this movie for seven-year-olds, but maybe it was a movie for 17-year-olds. Um, and 10 years later, they understood the movie and the ridiculousness of it and kind of created community around that ridiculousness through the internet. Okay, well, there's a couple of things. Let's just go back to the idea of Harold and Maude. You know, then when that movie came back in that time, you'd go to a theater, you'd see it, and it would disappear. It was, it's not like today. So with second-run theaters, you know, um, you could see it again. And then when, um, you know, uh, videos came out and with Blockbuster, you were able to see things again and again. And that can um, spark, re-spark an interest in a movie. Um, what you're talking about here, um, it sounds like kids saw it at a certain age and then they were reintroduced it, into it. It actually sounds like the issue the movie has in itself that is it for young people or older people? Mm -hmm. So you see it first time and you see it as a young person. Isn't that funny? The stinger and the pencil sharpener. And then when you move on, you, you grow up, you see that it, other aspects of it. So Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think that there were so many memes or whatever about this? Why? Tens of millions? Why? I think, I think a couple of things. I think one, because the themes are so outrageous and ridiculous, it kind of has even more of a Shrek effect than Shrek did, right? Mm -hmm. Shrek was a movie that was for young people, but not for children. You know, it was it was an animated film, so it was for kids, but it's kind of like raunchy and it has more adult humor that maybe will go over the heads of little kids, more for teenagers. I think the B movie was trying to bank off of some of that success, but because they were bees and maybe not marketed correctly, um, it, it missed a lot of that hype. Um, but I think that as those kids got older and as they were using the internet and talking to people about movies that they'd seen and creating content based on other content, um, the B-movie was something from 
our past that we were kind of like, oh, what happened? A woman fell in love with a bee. That was super weird. And he says you like jazz, which is also weird. And so the weirdness brought you back. Like I the think idea it was the weirdness, but about a bee falling in, about a woman falling in love with a bee, mm-hmm. not the other stuff. Yeah. I, yes, I do think it was very much the weirdness and the shock value of it. I don't think any of the heart, any of the mm-hmm. graduate subplots and the, <laughs> the, you know, the undercurrent of who are we in our society and I don't want to be part of the gray flannel suits that just go to work right after college and what am I doing with my life? I don't think any of that connected, mm-hmm. but all of the weirdness did connect. And I think it's interesting when you think about someone like... Steven Spielberg or George Lucas who went to go see a movie and then after they saw it they came back home and they were like okay I'm gonna try to make my own thing that's based off of serial movies that they used to see you know in the theater and then try to make my own serial film Indiana Jones but like now if somebody wants to make content about the B movie they can watch the B movie again and again and again and they can make videos where it's like what if we just said you like jazz a billion times over and over and over again and i think that a lot of content creation now kind of stems from being able to watch something over and over and over again as opposed to having to use your imagination like you go see something once in the theater and then you create indiana jones out of what you have imagined and what you remember from seeing a serial in the theater when you were younger as opposed to now you can just go home and watch the same movie that you just saw in the theater online and then edit it and make it silly and funny and create memes out of it and Mm -hmm. then that's the content that you're creating instead of creating your own independent inspired thing. Spielberg in particular would actually read the National Enquirer and all those magazines and see what was the most on people's minds like sharks or aliens and so that's what guided him okay two things here um one is when i would be looking for writers or filmmakers as a producer as a studio executive um i was always dismayed that so much of the stuff was redundant stuff they had seen before just and i would always say you've got to go out and experience life and then write about it you know you have to do that and i found that women did that more than men women would write about their experiences men would write about these like weird fantasies about you know just like mm-hmm. stuff that's not as grounded um and so that's a fault of the writers go out and find something original and then as far as like oh isn't it we were talking about um Oh, come on, where they're all blue. We just talked about Oh, that. Avatar. Um, and there's 10 more. So they're going to go back to James Cameron and say, what are you going to do? And then, you know, he's going to say, well, I see it like this, you know, and hopefully they bring in new people that can help, mm-hmm. you know, alter that. But that's that's a big undertaking when you are doing like Star Wars and then all of a sudden you have to do a series and you have to do the prequels and you have to, do, you mm-hmm. know, he has a big world in his head, but, you know, to not repeat is a yeah. big deal. I think the B movie is a really excellent example of repeating because a lot of the content and the popularity of it that created that was created by these internet memes are just like a case study in repetition, mm-hmm. right? What if we repeat the same thing over and over well, and I over think that's again? funny. I think repetition is the soul of wit. So I agree with that. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's a funny thought. So if you say that again and again, yeah, that's just, I don't know. That's, that's funny. So tell me about, this was your first watch, right? Yes. How did, how did you feel about it? Well, I'll tell you that um, I thought it was funny. 
I thought it was clever. I thought that the Seinfeld uh, bee had cute hair. I thought that the uh, the animation wasn't particularly good. Um, yeah, and then I was kind of thrown by the whole interspecies relationship that it got pretty intense. I mean, there was the dream in there that he was, I guess, dating her, and then the boyfriend, you know. She literally left him for this bee. That bee is living my life. That's what he said. And the end, he has my life or whatever. Yeah, so it's complete. Um, I thought that Chris Rock was super funny as the mosquito. Oh my, what horrible thing has happened here? Look at these faces. They never knew what hit them. And now they're on the road to nowhere. Just keep still. What? You're not dead? Do I look dead? Hey, man, they will wipe anything that moves. Now, where you headed? To Honey Farms. I am onto something huge here. I'm going to Alaska. Moose blood. Crazy stuff. Blows your head off. I've got one to Tacoma. What about you? He really is dead. All right. Really, really, really funny. Um, I like the themes of um, not wanting to do that work for the rest of his life. I also like the beginning where it was just like, well, three days in, you know, grade school and three days in high school, three days in college, and then we graduate and then we go right, literally right into work. So I just thought it was pretty clever. I think it's kind of interesting the way that they took this children's movie about bees and incorporated classic film like The Graduate into this children's movie. The pool. The pool, the illicit affair, the... Oh, right. Yes. Um, And the idea of not wanting to do what your parents want you to do, not wanting to do what society tells you you have to do, which is in The Graduate, you graduate college, you go into a job that makes money. Very, like, gray right, right, flannel right. suits. Yeah. And he doesn't want to do that. And there's that conversation where they're like, plastics, that's the future. You need to go into plastics. And he's like, that sounds miserable. I don't want to do that for the rest of my life. And then you have the same thing happening in the B movie. As an adult, the second time you saw it. That's what... Well, the uh, the thing is, that is that movie made for kids or adults? Or who's that movie made for? Well, I have no idea. I think on this time watching it, I remembered, I remembered that the first time I saw it, I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. But when I watched it the second time, I was like, why? Yeah. That's because there were so many jokes in it that I'm like, this should have gone right over my head. Yeah. There is a courtroom scene <laughs> where there's so many jokes about law and, you know, quid pro quo, the smoking gun. There's jokes about Sting and just who Sting is. And Larry yeah, King. Larry, that was kind of funny there. Don't forget, tomorrow night on The Larry King, we're going to have three former queens all right here in our studio discussing their new book, Classy Ladies, out this week on Hexagon. Tonight we're talking to Barry Benson. Did you ever think, I'm just a kid from the hive, I can't do this? Larry, bees have never been afraid to change the world. I mean, what about Bee Columbus? Bee Gandhi? But Jesus. Oh, where I'm from, you wouldn't think of suing humans. We were thinking more like stickball, uh, candy stores. How old are you? Well, I want you to know that the entire bee community is supporting you in this case, which is certain to be the trial of the bee century. Thank you, Larry. You know, they have a Larry King in the human world, too. It's a common name. Ray Liotta was kind of funny, too. Right, but like... As a seven-year-old, yeah. I didn't understand. But you dug it. You dug but, the visual, whatever. Yeah, I don't know. There was just something about it that worked for kids. 
and for adults, I guess. But something that I wanted to talk to you about, if you can shift into work mode, is about marketing a film. Mm -hmm. Do studios prefer making live action or animated films? And does money play a role into that? Like, is one cheaper than the other? And does that kind of influence decisions to make a movie animated or live action? Well, there's a whole bunch of uh, thoughts here. Um, The first is... Um, do you say, oh, this should be animated or this should this be live action? Um, there's only a few companies that do great animation. Do you know what I mean? So a lot of studios try to stay away from it. Or there are studios that are strictly, you know, like, um, you know, Fox with Chris Melodondri. He's got a, you know, great company. There's Pixar. So there's certain companies that are just great at it and you don't want to compete. Um, animation was super expensive and it's also a very different process than live action, you know, because it goes through, um, people who draw, do you know what I mean? And you just storyboard it, storyboard and storyboard. So that's a hugely long process. If you are like running a studio and Jerry Seinfeld comes in and says, I'm thinking, first of all, you want to be in business with him. So you want to accommodate him in any way because you think that's going to be, uh, financially advantageous. Um, so you'd be like, yeah, yeah, Jerry, that sounds good. Yes, we're going to do whatever you say, yes. But when it comes right down to thinking, like, is this going to be live action? Seriously, how do you do that? Unless it's all live action, but the bees are animated. I'm not, I am not sure how that would work. Yeah, it's expensive. And uh, no, people aren't like, uh, oh, we do animation here. It's just, um, so you have to go to certain studios that will, okay. that have a department for animation. Mm -hmm. So in the mid-2000s, when there was kind of this explosion of animated films, because there was computer animation, Mm -hmm. studios weren't experimenting with what they could and couldn't do with animation. They just kind of all stayed in their lanes. Um, In a way, yes, because they would reach out, like, you know, DreamWorks would have an animation, you know, studio, or or as I said before, um, Fox had animation, or Pixar, or Disney. but the other ones didn't get involved. It's a whole different mm-hmm. process. It's actually a whole different group of filmmakers even. So, yeah. um, so it wasn't something that you experimented with freely. You, know, you had to get the top creative people to come over to make this work. But it's also like, oh, like Pixar, for instance, would say, like, we have figured out how to make the movement of fish perfect. Or we have figured out how to do the fur on animals perfect. So... There would be certain leaps and bounds in that um, mm-hmm. division. Yeah. Um, what about as an ex-studio exec? Would mm-hmm. you have put your money behind the script if you had just read the script? I don't know. Um, Jerry was big in TV, right? Um, he was playing a character in a way, so that's like, okay, good. I don't know specifically how many years between since, you know, when his his show was over and he did this movie I don't know how many years well the past. show was over in 98 and this was in 2007 hmm. so a few years had passed but so like a blank check right is when a producer or a filmmaker or a star is so big that they can make whatever they want and the studio will just give them however much money they want because they think that whoever is making the movie yes. is going to get all of that money back and more mm-hmm. Is Jerry Seinfeld someone you think has blank check power? Because when we talk about West Side Story, right, Steven Spielberg has blank check Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, power. mm -hmm. But I didn't really feel like Jerry Seinfeld was. So 
I was wondering if if you thought this was a script that was worthy of putting okay. money behind. Well, it's it's also interesting because again, it's not like well, we see Jerry's face up there, so you have to you have to visualize things in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, if I were reading that script, that script was funny and it had a lot of sight gags, which reading would have been fun. So I would have said, this is a really fun movie and it's kind of interesting, like the bees and people and, you know, I would have been a little hesitant on the, okay, so wait, he, the bee breaks up that relationship? That's a little weird. Um, but you have to figure out if this is, you know, groundbreaking visually and also has something to say. Because, um, you know, when animated movies hit, they really, really hit. And as you know, they're mostly for kids, and they play them again and again and again. Mm-hmm. So um, I think I would have said the script was funny, and Jerry Seinfeld was in it. You know, because you have to mark the the boxes, and then you say, well, who's going to do the animation? Who's going to who's going to guarantee that this movie will come in? You know, right? And then I would have given it to somebody else who knows animation better than I. Folks, do you love movies? Well, if the answer to that question is yes, then Super Yaki is the site for you. The team at Super Yaki loves movies, so much so that they've dedicated every waking moment of their life to bringing you quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. In February, Super Yaki's collection is celebrating the Fast and Furious franchise and Florence Pugh's cooking videos. And then in March, they'll be highlighting perennial favorite Mads Mikkelsen and more. From bumper stickers to t-shirts to baseball caps, Super Yaki is dedicated to providing eco-friendly, fun movie merchandise. Visit superyaki.com to shop now and learn more. And use the offer code SUPERMOVIES to save 10% on your next purchase. Um, how heavily do movies rely on word of mouth as part of their uh, advertising and marketing plan? Because with the B-movie, as the more and more people went to go see the movie, it made less and less money. Like every weekend that it was out, it made less money. So I was like, <laughs> well, that, that made me wonder. That happens. Yeah. Okay. So people don't rely, or do studios rely on people going out to see the movie, it being really good and telling their friends about it? They do. Uh, and the biggest thing is getting those people out on the first weekend because again, uh, you know, it's like, you know, you're trying to sell a can of tuna at the grocery store, you know, and there's a lot of other tuna, mm-hmm. you know, and then you say like, how, do, how am I going to, how am I going to talk about this tuna that's big enough that everyone's going to buy it this weekend? Because when the movie, um, you know, uh, opens, you get the biggest cut. The producer, the studios get the biggest cut of that of those of that money, and then it diminishes. Mm-hmm. So what you want is the biggest net sent out, and then you're hoping that the movie is good enough so word of mouth works. You know, when you see the movie and you go like, "Oh, this is this is a bad one," you know, then you think, "Well, do we want to put good money after bad?" Um, you know, how do we want to do this? And it also depends on favoritism within the studio. If it's somebody that you really care about staying in the in business with, then you put a lot of money into, you know, P&A. So that's a, a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but now it's just like if you can get a Kardashian to talk about it or just tweet about it, you know, so it's... Marketing is very different now. Well, that kind of made me think of, you know, having someone famous talk about the movie. Jerry Seinfeld marketed the crap out of this movie. He was everywhere talking about it. At Sundance, he jumped off of a building wearing a bee costume, um, making a joke about how he 
Uh, yeah, he was like, oh, I hate it when movies market in such a ridiculous way about their movies. And then he was wearing a bee costume. He jumped off of a building, was flying. Chris Rock was there dressed as a mosquito. He's it was a whole good. thing. Mm-hmm. I was just wondering how marketing works for a movie. So like a few questions. One, if the movie, if the studio knows a movie is bad, do they market it more heavily to try to get people to come out on the first weekend to go see it? They look at a lot of things. They say, like, who are we up against? Do you know, when is our next movie coming out? Because it's also the availability of theaters. So, mm-hmm. do you know, um, they may make a change and say, we were going to go out in 2,800 theaters, and now we're going out in 1,200. Do you mm-hmm. know? Um, and they'll keep their another movie that they have playing that's doing better in those theaters. So there's a lot of things. It's also, like, sometimes the marketing people will say, oh, this is a movie about... Like, weren't we talking about um, Harold and Maude? And some people were saying it was not making fun of uh, suicide? Romanticizing suicide. Romanticizing it, yeah. Because um, I don't see that as the movie at all. But if you had a if your person who's head of marketing saw your movie as that, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's not what you should be marketing. Yeah. Um, because the movie is a movie that, even though I think it was marketed differently than how it was interpreted i think maybe marketing did understand what the movie was about because they put jerry seinfeld very much out there the ads were live action shorts of jerry seinfeld talking about the movie doing his thing um they weren't i mean obviously there were trailers and stuff but like the main push for the ads was getting jerry out there hello welcome once again to b movie tv juniors animated movies have many rules When those rules get broken, animators pay the price. Enjoy. Welcome to hell. The ads were very much not geared towards children, but it is seen as a children's movie because it's animated. So do you think that was a consumer response misunderstanding or was that a marketing issue? Like, what do you think the problem was? Because I... I think that there were issues with who was going to see the movie because I don't see it as a children as a children's movie. I see it as a movie for adults. That's, That's a real to be issue. Animated, yeah. You know, when you see it, you may have thought when you read it, like, oh, it's so sweet, it's so funny. The kids are going to love this thing with the little stinger and the pencil sharpener, and oh, how funny! Um, even though a lot of the humor was very sophisticated, um, so I think when they saw the movie, they were like, oh, we've got a problem, and it's exactly what you were saying. On the other hand, if you look at Jerry, um, this movie meant a lot to him but there was a lot at stake does he have the power to be a movie star does he what are his goals so he had a lot at stake and he was like i'm going out there i'm giving it everybody everything because that's the the that's the power curve in the movie is him and that's what the audience want to see they want to see jerry seinfeld saying come to this movie it's really funny and great um because i think they had problems trying to decide if we advertise a trailer with a B, are people going to say, oh, let's bring the kids, or is that a date movie? It was confusing inherently in the, in the material. Do you think interpretations of animation has changed? Like, do you think that animation is inherently for children still, like it was back when it was just getting started? Well, I think it's changed a bit because of television also. So I think that it has changed with The Simpsons or with, you know, Bob's Burgers or Family Guy or whatever. Um, also, when you can nail, uh, you know, 
a movie, animated movie, it's just tons of money. <laughs> you know, it's just tons of money because you got sequels, you could get, you know, you can get rides out of it, costumes out of it, prequels. It's just, there's so, um, you know, musical theater, you know, national tours. There's just so much you can get mm-hmm. out of it. And again, it's kids seeing it again and again and again and again. Yeah, you can milk it. Yeah. This episode of The Movies That Made Her But Not Me is sponsored by ScreenSpec, where you can read reviews and features on the latest film and television releases and support underrepresented writers in the process. Visit ScreenSpec.com to stay up to date on what movies and shows you should be keeping up with. Also, you know, there's a certain age, I noticed this when I was actually, you know, making a bunch of movies, that there's a certain age where movie stars start having kids, and they're like, well, you know, I want, I want to do something for my kids, and so it became very popular for famous people to come, because you get paid, like, scale, you know, mm-hmm. to do the voiceovers and stuff. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, yeah. if he's having kids, that kids' movies were probably on his mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to do something where, you know, your kids are like... My dad's great. He made B movie. Yeah. It didn't happen, I don't think. But yeah. Well, it was kind of this brain baby between Jerry Seinfeld and Steven Spielberg. Um, Jerry told Jerry Seinfeld and Steven Spielberg were having a meeting to talk about what they could make a movie together on. And Jerry was like, Oh, I have this kind of silly, stupid idea about a bee who sues the human race for exploitation. And Spielberg was like, ha 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 ha, make that movie. Boy bees, male bees, do they have stingers? No, so that's very interesting. Because the other one then ended up with a little cocktail uh, skewer, olive, whatever, in his bum. Well, so interestingly (laughs) enough, the bees' anatomy is all wrong. So male bees don't have stingers. Um, Male bees also don't work. They just have babies with the queens. Women are the worker bees. Well, that's the world. Yeah. 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 And the men just sit around um, and have babies, and then the female bees are the ones who actually work. So they did make some bee changes in the movie. It's not. <laughs> it's not exactly how bee society is created. Yeah. And then what are they talking about in the beginning? Like bees can't fly in the rain. That was like blah blah blah. Bees can't fly in the rain. And then they go out and fly in the rain. Well, what? I think it's because. They, they're setting up that because he can't fly in the rain, he has to do an emergency landing at Vanessa's house, and that's how he meets her. Yeah. So I think that yeah. was just like a volley. They were setting it up to follow through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> was it very successful, this movie? Yes, it did make money. It, it doubled its budget. Um, I don't know if that's that successful because of all the money that they spent on marketing, yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah, it probably just broke too. even, right? Yeah, because it's usually three times the amount of what the uh, the negative costs were for the movie. Mm-hmm. That's what they usually put in for prints and ads and marketing and stuff. So, okay, yeah. So then I don't think it made. What money. was the budget on it? The budget was 150 million, and it made 293 million. Oh, DreamWorks Animation reported that the film's net profit was 27.3 million. Okay. So it was DreamWorks, not Pixar. Yeah, it was DreamWorks, and it wasn't Pixar, which I think is really interesting in terms of animation styles. Like, I think Pixar was just on a whole different plane, Yeah, working on making anim- and on perfecting animation. It's interesting to me in, in a looking back perspective, because I think, oh, you know, back then people didn't want to animate humans because they were so... You know, it didn't look very realistic. It was much easier to animate a fish Mm -hmm. or a car Mm -hmm. or an insect 
and make that lovable than to animate a human that doesn't really look like a human. And then this movie kind of combined those two things. Like, it had humans and it had bees. And I thought that the insects were way better designed than the humans were. It was yeah. when I saw Vanessa and the other humans in the movie that I was like, oh, the animation, this is really bad. When I saw the insects, I didn't really think anything of the animation. But when I saw the humans, I did. So I was like, oh, I understand why Pixar waited until they mastered human animation before mm-hmm. they introduced humans into their movies. Mm-hmm. I think Ratatouille might be the first movie that they had humans in it. Oh, that could be. You know, the, one of the questions is also, um, when do you decide that a movie should be animated or live action? You know, so if it's a movie about all humans, why not just do it live right. action? I guess just for, for art, mm-hmm. right? So you can prove that you can animate humans and have them look realistic. Do you remember hearing things about this movie when you were working? I know you were... No. No? Nothing? No. (laughs) When was the first time you heard of it? When I suggested that we do it for the podcast? Yes. Yes. And that's embarrassing. Roger Ebert gave the film two out of four stars saying, All of this material, written by Seinfeld and writers associated with his television series, tried hard, but never really takes off. Mm -hmm. We learn at the outset of the movie that bees theoretically cannot fly unfortunately in the movie that applies to only the screenplay it is really 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 hard to care much about a platonic romantic relationship between renee zelliger and a bee although if anyone could pull it off she could yeah she's sweet but yeah it was hard to connect to that and uh care about it yeah, it was. It was hard to make a connection with any of it, except for the funniness of the, you know, the snappy pattern. I was going to say I probably would not have made it, but if Spielberg and Seinfeld came in and were like, we're going to make this bee movie, I'd be like, yeah, it's great, I love it. <laughs> so I would have succumbed to it too, I'm sure. Um, how would I have done it differently? I, I have no idea. I have no idea because that I, I'm flummoxed by that movie. I'm just like, some of it is funny, some of it is funny. That's all I got. In this movie, do you think that all of these famous people were in it and Jerry made it and, you know, marketed for it so hard because they all believed in it and thought it was funny and good? Or was it just because this was Jerry Seinfeld's first movie and they were like, maybe we can get in on his successful first film? Well, I think that um, he was friends with everyone. So they're like, you know what I do? We're doing Jerry's movie. It's super funny. But none of the people that are in it are like animation actors. You know, they're right. doing some voice. But. No, that definitely showed in their, their voice acting. So, do you think it's a classic? No. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't either. But I do think that, you know, being able to take a movie and turn it into a movie that is just a million jokes, being able to turn it into a million more jokes online... I think that definitely has got a special quality to it. I do think that it had a lot of cultural relevance and significance to my generation when we got to, you know, 16, 17 years old in being able to reflect on this movie from our childhood and turn it into a million more jokes. I think there's definitely oh, interesting. something. There's something there. The fact that it was able to bring joy to people through making fun of it, I guess definitely has a quality to it. It's not a very good movie, but in being a bad movie, it achieves its goal of bringing joy to people and entertaining them. When I'm thinking about, um, as a studio executive, if I had 
I would have had, if going into this, if I was doing B-movie, the idea that Jerry is not a screenwriter. He's a stand-up comic, and his, uh, his, his comedy is based on, you know, um, uh, social observation, just what's going on in the world. And it's very heavily reflected in this movie. Um, but I think that the fact that it even had a plot in the whole storyline, I think that's pretty good, you know? But for the kind of entertainer he is, I think that was reflected in the movie. Yeah, absolutely. And it was pretty funny. It just overwhelmingly jokes everywhere. Uh, my favorite joke was when they graduate and their graduation seats turn into a car and they drive immediately into a tour of where they're going to work and they have some sort of overhead speaker that says, keep your, you know, hands and feet and wings inside the vehicle at all time. And then they repeat the same thing in Spanish, That's which funny. I thought that was That's pretty funny. silly that they would do it in English and Spanish. Welcome, new Hive City graduating class of... 9.15. And that concludes our graduation ceremonies. And begins your career at Honex Industries. Are we going to pick our job today? I heard it's just orientation. Whoa, heads up. Here we go. Keep your hands and antennas inside the tram at all times. Mantenga sus manos y antenas adentro del carril en todo momento. I like the antenna too, the, the phone. Yeah, there were a lot super, of super cre there was a I'm lot sorry. of creativity visually. I don't know if all the jokes hit with me, um, but I do think that there was a lot going on visually that was super creative. Like how do we take this bee world, these hives, this everything, and how do we make it humanistic? Like mm -hmm. where do we put their cell phone? Mm -hmm. What kind of clothes do they wear? Mm -hmm. You know? Oh, yeah, what about the ones that go out and they uh, get the pollen? They were the big yeah. with the big jackets, and he got a little jacket too. Super cute. <laughs> yeah, there was there was definitely a lot that was creative about it. Yeah. I just saw it a day or two ago, um, but as you were reminding me, yeah, I'm remembering it's pretty funny. So now we, we're back to maybe it is a classic. <laughs> no. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Movies That Made Her But Not Me. Join us next episode when Lauren and Minna join the resistance and discuss the Barbara Streisand Robert Redford film The Way We Were. Thank you to our sponsor, FilmCred, an online film publication publishing insightful film and television reviews, interviews, video essays, and coverage of film festivals. Thank you also to Antonio Ortiz for composing our theme and all other music on this podcast. And lastly, Thank you to you, listeners. We've started a podcast email for listeners to email us and provide feedback, comments, questions, and anything else you want us to know. Email us at moviesmadeher at gmail.com. And be sure to follow us at moviesmadeher on Instagram and Twitter to stay up to date on the episode releases, the movies we'll be covering, and all things podcast-related.